Welcome to the podcast of Grace Covenant Church, where we are transformed by God's grace, connected through relationships, and committed to service. If you'll turn in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, it's going to be towards the end of your Bibles. There's a first and a second. We'll be in first. And there's no introduction today. That's it. I've turned on your Bibles. Introductions, if you're familiar with public speaking, are to get your attention and then to introduce the topic. I sent out an email on Friday, and we're talking about sex. So I think I have your attention, and I think you want me to get talking about it, right? Let's go. Let's go. Let me give you some context for what we're going to be looking at today. Uh, we're looking at this book called Thessalonians, First Thessalonians, and it's, to, it's a letter to a church, I think a lot like Grace Covenant, where you know, the people there are committed to each other and, and this community of people that they really want to enjoy God's commandments and live out life to its fullest. They are uh, in a culture that persecutes uh, Christians and people with Christian values, and we kind of feel that around here quite often. Even our kids in the public schools will. And so it's not uncommon for people to experience the joy while they're being persecuted. And then finally, the last little attribute is the way we should leave, but they, they were, as though it were any day now, believing that Jesus would return eminently, like just tomorrow. And there were consequences for that. And, there, and we looked at those for the last two weeks about what death is, looks like and how we shouldn't fear that. And, and we could look forward. We sang all of these songs. We're loading up this value that we are looking forward to the day when we as the church get to hear the wedding bell ring and the doors swing open. And we say to the groom, you're beautiful. And we want to live for that day. And so most of the books now, First and Second Thessalonians, are with all of that in context, how should we live our lives out? And so now, while we spent some time in the last, uh, at the end of chapter 4, beginning of chapter 5, let's go back and look at some of the things he's talking about. Because at the end of chapter 4, he says, and the, we will always be with the Lord, therefore encourage one another in these words. So what are these words that he's talking about? And, and we'll read the first um, three and a half verses. And I want you to be listening for how Paul is saying, you guys are doing a great job, but you could, I mean, you could get so much more. There's so much greater depth of your enjoyment with God. Keep up the great work, but I'm urging you to want more, desire more, to receive more. Okay? That's what we're looking for. Excuse me. Verse 4-1. Finally, brothers, we instructed you on how to live in order to please God. As, in fact, you are living. You're doing that. Great. And now I ask you and I urge you in the name of the Lord Jesus to do more and more. You know what the instructions we gave you about the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ, right? Okay. It is God's will that you should be sanctified. Now, this, this is a, a perfect example of how, as in the words of Gordon MacDonald, that God is easily pleased but never content with where we are. Easily pleased. You are doing a great job. You should do more. Look at verse 1 again. Finally, brothers, as instructed, as we had instructed how you should live in order to please God, as in fact you are living, we ask you and we're urging you in the Lord Jesus to do more and more. How are you doing? I'm doing great. The Spirit of God is living inside of me. I am guilt-free. I'm living a joy-filled life. Even when persecuted, I go to bed crying, but there are tears of uncomprehensible um, feeling of God's presence in my life, I feel like this is right where I ought to be. And Paul says, fantastic, there's more. I mean, he's like infomotion. Wait, there's more. There is so much more for you guys to live out. And there always is. 
There always, even in eternity, there will always be more. And this is what he says. Then all of that, all of that is leading to verse three that says, "It is right. It's your calling. It is God's will that you should be sanctified. It's God's will that you should be sanctified." That's a church word if there ever was one. So sanctified means to become holy. His desire is that you become glorious, that you uh, acquire the image of Christ and, and character traits as much as possible, right? That you would be radiant. Okay, so what does all that mean? What does holiness mean? In the Bible, it, it's quite descriptive sometimes when you take it out of kind of church language. Uh, holiness means to be set apart for a special purpose, okay? A lot of times people will say holiness means to be set apart, and we're going to be separatists. That's not what it means. It means to be set apart for something very special. It, it, can, it can look similar, but it's, oh, it is so different, even maybe sometimes in, in kind, not just in degree. Um, in the Older Testament, the utensils that are used in the tabernacle or the temple are holy. And so there's, there's this bowl that, that carries the incense, but it's a holy bowl, and you don't wash your clothes in this bowl. It is for this one thing, and it's a special thing. Uh, I was watching, I must have been out of town, but I was watching on, on cable uh, hip replacement surgery. I don't know why, and that's why I don't have cable. One of the many reasons is if it's mildly interesting, I will watch it. And I think the reason I was, I know, I, this stuff grosses me out, but the reason I was enamored by it was these surgeons, you know, extremely intelligent, highly paid in a secure environment, were using what looked like my power tools. They had a hammer that looked a lot like my hammer. They had a drill. They had a cordless drill that looked a lot like my cordless drill. But it wasn't. No, 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 no. They were shiny. <laughs> they were extremely expensive and they were germ-free because they were set apart for a very special purpose. And my framing hammer only hopes to be someday a surgeon's hammer. It never will be. Here's another one. This one you'll probably grasp better. Um, the, the things we use to dine with. And so a, a regular plastic plate that you eat, you know, put a hot dog on and you go in the backyard and that's, that's plastic. That's common. That's normal. Paul is saying, no, 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 I want you to aspire to be holy like, like China. Like China. And, and the plastic plate could only hope that someday it would have, you know, roasted duck. Now, here's what he's saying in these few verses that we have today. He said, he's saying, grasp this. You are China. Now live like that. He's not saying become this. You are China. What are you doing getting left out in the sandbox in the backyard? Who would ever use China to eat leftover cold pizza on the bed of their truck? What are you doing? It is God's will that you be sanctified. It's God's will that you pursue this set apart for a very, very special purpose. That's what God's, and that's how you get more, more and more. That's what he's trying to do. Now, here's how to do it. In the next verse, he's going to explain how to do it. I think it's in 3B, 3 and 4. It's God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn how to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable. There's the word again, holy and then honorable. Well, what? 
Yes, the first thing he's going to talk about is to abstain from sex. That's not what he said. He said abstain from sexual immorality. And the word there, you probably know, you don't know a lot of Greek, but you'll know that word, and the word is pornea. And in the Greek word, it's, it's just this, a very generic, and it's an umbrella term. And obviously, it's where we get the word uh, pornographic, but it means, uh, it means any kind of sexual misuse or sexual abuse. And so certainly it would include uh, pornographic materials, and then it would include, here's, here, here's a summary statement that will make it simple. It is any kind of sexual encounter outside the boundaries of the covenant of marriage. So anything before marriage or extramarital or, again, pornographic material, that's what he's talking about, about sexual immorality, pornea. He means stay, absolutely stay away from that and learn how to control your body's urges. Now, here's what I think is, is interesting and maybe even fascinating is what a place to start, Right? I mean, here's how you can get more and more. Here, you're, it's God's will that you pursue holiness. Now let's start talking about sexual immorality. Why start there? We're going to talk in just a, in a few weeks on, on, on workplace issues and some other things that are going to come up in light of seeing Christ face to face, but he starts here, and we spend quite a few verses on it. I think it is because of the, um, the enormous importance of sexual intimacy, Sex, it, sex defines us as human beings. It, we are, it, the expression of our sexuality tips our hand on what our values are as to our essence. Because we are either in, in the image of God or we're in the image of dog. You just flip the words around, letters around, and you get two different worldviews, two different ways of looking at all of life. And if you look at... Uh, the idea of being in the image of God, we, we are, by, def, by the Bible's definition, that we are a soul that is housed inside of a mammal. And the mammal has its urges, but the soul controls those urges because it is eternal. It is a spiritual, right? And the other view is that we are merely mammals. And, and, and so, pornea, right, all those expressions of pornea are saying, you're just an animal, as a matter of fact, I heard on National Public Radio years ago an interview with a Harvard professor of psychiatry, and it was on the addictive nature of pornographic material and how it's uh, uh, becoming an epidemic. And so the interviewer said, well, could you just describe or rather define pornography succinctly? And she said, oh, yeah, and this is kind of the running thing we, we, uh, we use. It is soulless sex. It is sex without personhood. It is... It is in almost entirely selfish, but is animal. And so this idea, all these expressions of pornea, whether it's premarital or extramarital or the, or the pornographic material itself, it is, it is this war between body and soul, this, this spiritual in the image of God. And this is just a Harvard doctor that's saying that sort of thing. I mean, look, just look at the power. It makes us like God. It makes us like we are in the image of God no more than when a man and a woman become one, that's mystical, and when conception takes place, an eternal being is created. We create eternal life by having relations. When a human sperm meets a human egg, something else completely in the image of God is now into existence forever. 
forever. Or, or as the song from the 80s or 90s, whenever it was, let's get together and do what they do on the animal planet. I mean, every world religion has a, a, a spiritual view of human intimacy because there's something very mystical about it. It's, it's, it's a spiritual thing that takes place. And that's why sexual victimization has such a deep wound in a human soul because it is soulish. It, it, is, it is not a physical injury. It is a soul and spirit I- injury. And so what Paul is saying is, is saying, look, you, you've got to, in your sexual uh, ethics, you're choosing between plastic and china. You're choosing between whether you're just merely mammal or whether you're a soul that is housed inside a skin. And the bigger picture of this whole thing is, is God has already declared you China. And so flee sexual immorality and honor, learn to control your mammal and use it honorably. In the Christian culture then, and I would say the Christian culture now, because we are, we are a hair's breadth away from Rome before the fall uh, in, some, in some cultural context, Christianity stood out in three major areas. Okay, their view of death, their view of sex, and their view of money. Their view of death is, we talked about that in the, in the previous two weeks, uh, when, when they, they to, to die is gain, to live is for Christ and to die is gain. And when the Romans were persecuting the Christians and they were sending them to their death, they would be singing hymns. You know, when you're trying to torment someone by torturing and killing them and they're singing back to you, that'll bug you. And it, it was perplexing to them. The other two things were, were their values as attached as they attached to sex and money because it was completely reversed on the Roman and even the Greco-Roman values of sex is free and doesn't have any real attachment of value to it, and money was to be hoarded and cherished and worshipped and clung to. And, and the Christians had this completely different view. Oh, we're going to savor sex and we're going to give away our money. We're going to hold tight to our bodies, but we're going to be free with our finances. And that's why one of the earliest quotes that we have outside of the Bible in the context of Christendom was an ethical standard that, that was perplexing and causing people to take notice. It was, it, here's the quote. We share our table with all, but not our bed with all. We share our table with all, but not our bed with all. And it was completely reversed in the context of the culture that they were living in. You can come in. Yes, you come on in. Eat with us. Dine with us. You help yourself to the cupboard or, or the warehouse of food. Or if there's something you like, you can have it. It's just material stuff. What difference does that make? The bedroom's off limits. No, that's, that's just for people inside the covenant that have made promises to God. And the Romans were like, what? We give our bodies away and we hoard our money. And what's interesting is the significant influence and the impact that Christianity had on the Roman culture was because of these three distinctives. They whistled on their way to the death camps, right? They cherished their bodies because they were at places their souls were housed, and they gave them as living sacrifices to God, and they, and they were generous with their wealth. And, and so they looked at People looked on and they, and they looked at the intimate lives that the husbands and wives had and they said that is so wholesome and joyous and wise. There must be more to it. It caused them to draw into questioning about what the values truly were. 
And, and so, you know, what, that's what we're supposed to do. We're not supposed to conform to the values of this culture that are very Romanesque, that say, you know, <laughs> play shoddy with your anatomy. What difference does it make as opposed to what the Bible has said? It, it is the expression of our humanness. It is how we're formed in the image of God. It is how we, the power of this thing. You can't. And so Paul's summary here, in summary, is, is that you want to please God more and more. It is your calling to please God more and more. And here's how. To flee sexual immorality, the lusts of your body, and then it says instead train your body, right, you know, you know train it, so that it is honorable and holy. Now, even the word honor there gives this graphic description of, of feeling of awe and, and respect to this. You can't just take it anywhere. You're China. You're not plastic. So live that way. Honor God with your body. Now, here's why. Paul's going to give us five reasons. Any one of them are standalone. They're kind of overlapping, but honestly, um, they have a different angle, a different way of expressing why God would say that. And the first reason God's going to say that you should stay away from pornea is because he said so. Now, I think this is emphasized because he says it at the beginning and at the end of our thought today. He says it in verse um, 2, and then he says it at verse 8. And listen now, there's this appeal to authority, and there's nothing else to it than that. Look at verse 2. For you know what, what instructions that we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul's saying, hey, this isn't from me, this is from Jesus, so don't blame me. And then verse 8 Therefore, he who rejects this instruction, flee uh, pornea, flee sexual immorality, he who rejects this instruction does not reject man, but God, and God who gives you the Holy Spirit. So, again, he's asking us to remember, you've got the gift of this Holy Spirit. I think that's why he's saying that. You've got this gift of this Holy Spirit inside of you. It is, it is every Old Testament saint's envy to have the, the law written on your heart, and you know this is right. I don't know if he's, a, he's rep, appealing to the gift or the idea that the, the Spirit is telling our conscience. You know this is right. This is how you express yourself as a, as a, as a man or a woman, as a king or a queen, as a, a descendant of Christ, as one of his family members. And, and so he, but he just says it right out that he's, because I said so. How does that feel, Austin? Huh? I mean, I don't know if you've lived here long, but, you know, we, we don't even associate with the rest of the state. And um, we're kind of proud of that. This is a town of rebels, and there's a rebel inside of our souls already, and we just kind of throw logs on that fire. But here at Grace, we'll tell you, we are very dedicated to submitting to authority for authority's sake. I'll tell you that I, would, I can show you that the whole universe is run on submission to authority. Now, we don't, submission, we don't submit to opinion or prejudice or tradition or other people's thinking that that's what it is, but there's a few stations of Bible or, or biblical endowed authority, and we submit to it, and here's what it says. We will color outside the lines here, but we will never play outside the fences. You get killed out there. And, but, but be careful. Okay, wait, I probably said that in a way that could be misunderstood. He is not, Paul is not saying it doesn't work, therefore it's wrong. He's saying this, it's wrong, therefore it doesn't work. Those are two 
different ways of looking at life. The God who made us, designed us, and has the authority to declare what's right and wrong said it's wrong. And oh, by the way, it it won't work, but it doesn't work because it's wrong. It's not wrong because it doesn't work. Somebody, the culture, they have switched the value tags on these issues, and they always will because they are so precious. And the precious things are considered petty, and the petty things like money are considered precious. It happens all the time. So share your money. Do not share your bed. That's the first reason, because he said so. The second reason is because it's not like the heathens. What, how would they know any different? They consider themselves just mammals, and they're going to act like mammals, and they don't value themselves as spirit and soul. And because of that, what, what, are, you, what are you doing thinking like they think? In this time and in this culture, and in the Roman culture, and it's not far from today, honestly, the average man, and sexual ethics always violate, almost always violate, almost always violate women. Because in a culture where might makes right, men are better fighters. And so they get what they want. And in this culture, the Roman culture, the Greco-Roman culture, men had at least four relationships. They had sexual relationships. They had their wife, and that person gave them status. And her job was to bear heirs in your last name and to do with marriage affairs. Right? Just to stay in the socioeconomic background uh, or, or advance, to bear children, and to keep things together. And then most of the men had a mistress because that was the person that wasn't just sexual, but that was the person for recreation and intellectual stimulation and, of course, sexual exploits. And they would have these other women for those purposes. And then <laughs> in addition to that, they would have concubines, which was in some respects in our contemporary des- description would be your maid, it was kind of a live-in maid and, and between dusting and the toilets and taking care of some of the kill, children, you'd, she, her obligation would be towards the man of the house to, to, to pleasure him. And I don't know for the life of me how they got the energy, but besides a wife and a concubine and a mistress, they also had prostitutes all over the place that were nothing more than sexual toys. So listen, this is the way they viewed it, and it makes perfect sense. If there's no eternity, there's no Christ at the end of this thing, and there's no soul in, encapsulated in your body, and it makes sense. But it's not, it's not the way the Bible describes things. When you have a wife and a mistress and a concubine and a sex toy, those are all plates made of plastic or paper at best. And Paul comes in and says, this is from God. Let me tell you, that wife... She is all those things. She is the one that gives you respect and honor. She will, she will bear your children. She will be your, your person of recreation and, and, and intimate counsel. She, was, she will be the fun person you enjoy because you can in the context of marriage. You will have all of that in her, and you will give her dignity because she is China. She is my daughter She is royal family, and you will treat her like that. Don't take her in the backyard. You serve royal food with her. This is is something completely different. It's It's the sexual ethic of the Bible, that the body and the soul are absolutely intricately connected to each other. And so when you violate this principle, again, and you know this intuitively, but I think you know it as a follower of Christ because your spirit's in there. He gave us that spirit that when you disconnect these and say, I can do anything I want with my body and there's no consequence for my soul, you know that's not true. 
because something happens to your soul, especially when you're talking about your, these private parts on you that are not connect, are created equally. And that's why sins against private parts are so devastating because they transcend the body and they, they violate the soul and the spirit. So intimacy is like this. Intimacy is like this. You make a commitment and then you're able to show affection. And that's how it is with just friendships, right? We have a friendship and so we're going to hug or embrace or something because we make some kind of commitment and then we can have intimacy. We make ultimate commitment and then you have ultimate intimacy. But the commitment comes first so that you're safe, so that you can do spiritual things, so things don't get torn away and violated. Paul's saying, look, you want to get closer to God? You've got to to respect the power of sexual relations. Avoid pornea. And the fourth reason, or the third reason, he says, because it's wrong against your brother. Verse 6, he says, right? Um, And in this matter, no one should, should wrong his brother or take advantage of him. So the phrase there, wrong his brother or take advantage of him, is this idea that, that when, you, when you have sex outside of marriage, uh, in any kind of context, you're wronging someone else. There's, there's, you know, two consenting adults. There's not two consenting adults in this, is what he's saying. There's a brother or a sister over there that's getting injured, and, you, and, that, and it's, it's a deep injury. So, if, I mean, it's, it's pretty obvious, right? If you have sex outside of marriage... You're violating, you're injuring, you're stealing something that belongs to someone else, their mate. In pornographic um, entertainment, right, your mate, while you're enjoying what is almost entirely animal intimacy, right, well, intimacy, that's a contradiction, right, animal sex, right, not soul sorts of things, while you're enjoying that, fantasizing that, standardizing that, and those expectations does that hurt your mate, your husband, or your wife? Oh, absolutely. Horrendous damage. How could they not be injured? And premarital sex is very much similar to that. While, while you're kind of learning your ropes with other people, these other people are going to be married someday. And you've, okay, this idea of going in and wrong your brother and take advantage of him, you've jumped his fence and taken something that belongs to him. And I mean, I mean if, if you... If you ran around with a crowd of people and you end up marrying one of that crowd and your three good friends all dated your future wife and everybody was wholesome and honoring, you get to keep all of your friends and get a wife. Why? Because your friends, look what your friends did not wrong you or take advantage of you. That's what happens when you live in the context of trying to do God's will to be sanctified. The next one is that God's discipline. And I mean, it says it quite clearly in this passage. I'll need to explain it briefly, but it's, the clarity is, is undeniable. And, and that in this matter, no one should wrong his brother or take advantage of him. The Lord will punish men for all such sins uh, as, as we have already told you, and we've warned you about that. Now, in the previous weeks, we talked about how Christ's salvation, his death and resurrection, will save you from the wrath of God, and that's absolutely true, but the Bible will continue to say that you still have consequences for your choice, for the choices that you make, and so in Galatians, again, a New Testament book will say you reap what you sow, you, you harvest what you plant, you plant watermelon, one watermelon seed, you get a lot of watermelons, and you get a lot of seeds inside of those. So there's a multiplication effect here, and that's part of that's what we're talking about when we talk about judgment, 
We're talking about consequences of your choices, and you're going to live with those. When my daughter, we were watching, um, what's that called, uh, uh, funniest, America's Funniest Videos, and they just did this blooper reel of people falling down and doing stupid things and getting hurt, and she said, you know, these people just don't believe in physics. You know, I said, good for you. And it's a lot of punishment is not believing in the physics of the values that God has placed on our anatomy. Now, the other way that judgment takes place is that we all, all believers, give an account for the life that we live. And we can see that throughout the Bible in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, up here on the screen, it says again, clearly, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive what is due to him for the things that they've done in the body, in the body, whether good or it's bad. So we have this great privilege in, in some future date to go before God and we present to him, it's kind of like a report card day, and he says, look, you told me to live like a, a prince or a, or a princess, a king or a queen, and here's what I've done with that life. You've set me free from the cost of my sin. You've given me the spirit of God, and here are the choices that I've made since then. And so, I mean, you kind of present them, you, you present him like this, um, this portrait of your choices. And, and then, you know, the idea here is that you're rewarded. He, the king wants to give his children crowns and jewels and rewards. And if you make poor choices, you, it, the Bible says you suffer loss. You suffer loss. And so Paul's trying to head him off and said, look, <laughs> he dressed you in royal clothing. Please tell me you didn't, you didn't play in the mud. Please. The, the last thing he, he says, besides those other four, he says that you were called to so much more. You were called to so much more. And that's kind of, I would say, that's the theme here. Again, that more and more here. God doesn't want less. He wants more. He doesn't want you to experience no sex. He wants you to experience the spiritual dynamics of sexual relations in the context of marriage so that it can be, the, by, it can be a, a means of becoming holy. <laughs> he invented this. There's books in the Bible written about how to. He's quite vivid. And, and so look, look what he says in set verse um, 7. Yeah. For God did not call us to be impure, but he called us to a holy life. This God who gave us the Holy Spirit. He called us to glorious things. He called us to be holy. What is holy? Set apart for a very special purpose. And, and so the idea here is that we would, we would find someone in life, God would bring them to us in any number of ways, and we would say, I admire you. I admire what God is doing in your life. And I, I, want, I love to hear what God, uh, the way he speaks to you, and I want to be part of that. I, I, I can learn so much from you. And then you find yourself becoming more attracted to them, and then you say these vows. And what are the vows? I mean, the vows are just, just tearing away of all the barriers for your own protection. And they should be there, okay? They're economic barriers. I don't just, you know, give money to anyone and, you know, I commingle my account, right? So you share economic barriers. You say, hey, there's no my account, there's our account. Right? I mean, that, right? And so you, 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 you shed social barriers. You say, you say, I am completely given over to you. And, and sometimes we'll say in the premarital counseling, you know that program you have spinning on your hard drive that says dating? Okay, you throw that into the trash. 
because you've set up these other barriers that say there is not another woman in the entire world that will ever please me or entertain me. I will not even become close friends with a member of the opposite sex because I have all of that in you. You're, you're, the, you're the queen and that I am presented with. And you shed emotional barriers. You say, I am vulnerable and naked and unashamed. That is at the absolute, the least that is in its phrase a physical term. It is, it is an emotional and spiritual nakedness and unashamed. God hopes so much more for us in this. So what does he dream for you? Is it all that bad? Is it all that impossible that he would, that he would desire for you holiness and sanctification more and more? Just... Just take you out of it and, and, and the thing and the, maybe the mistakes you've made and the regrets you might have. And, and Christ can heal that. He can. But what is, what is your hope? What, and is it all that bad? Think about this. We'll take you out of it. What, what, what would you hope for your, someone you love, your brother or your sister, um, your child, your, your daughter or your son, um, somebody that you really love in this, er, in this area of avoiding at all costs, buffeting your body, learning to honor your body and avoiding sexual immorality. Here's what it would look like, okay? Here's kind of the plan, the, the, the calling, that, that you would grow up and be uh, not ignorant but innocent. Not ignorant but innocent. And in your young adult years, you might find somebody and you see them and you hear them speak about their relationship with God and you say, I like their spirit. They see God in a different way. They, I when they read their Bibles, they have interpretations that I would have never found. It's, it's something that's just different than the way I look at things. And then you find, you know what, be, not just because of their relationship with God, you find yourself being attracted to not their spirit but their soul, their personality. You like that kind of how adventurous they are or maybe how consistent they are or, you know, right, how, how talkative and expressive they are or how they're able to hold their tongue whatever it might be, but you're, you're finding, you're gravitating to their soul. And then you look in their eyes one day, and they're not friends anymore. You look at them and you say, those are the most beautiful eyes I have ever experienced in my life. And I want to be the person in your life that God speaks through to make you holy. I want to be that. I want to be the only one that has the right of access to, to the innermost parts of your soul. And he or she says, I, I do. And then you, then you go before your friends, right, before, this, before God and the state of Texas, right, to have and to hold from this day forward for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, for sickness and in health, right? And because you've said those things and because you've had these commitments, this is, this is what God has for you. This is his hope for you, that you would leave that place and you would, you would well, you would see this person. You would see this person. And the first time you see them in their dress or in their tuxedo, whatever it might be, their formal gown, it is the fulfillment of all of your hopes. And when I do, when I do weddings, uh, when everybody stands for the bride and everybody turns and faces her, I grab the groom and I throw him in the middle and it said, she's yours. And he gets the best view in the house as everybody's looking at her and he, she is now looking at him. And the wedding bells ring. 
And then you go to your place that night and you, you undress each other as you should. And because this is, the, this is the first time you have ever seen an adult member of the opposite sex completely without clothing on, just naked. It is the gold standard of what beauty is. And because of your innocence and ignorance, you fumble around and double dribble and fall and trip and skin your knee and no fireworks, no buzzers, not much. But you look at each other and you say, we have 76 years to practice this until we get this right. And while no one, no one knows what they're doing in this room, it's all we know combined. Is that such a terrible thing for God to want for you? It is not. He loves you. He knows, he knows you. And he wants you to become holy as you were meant to be. Your China, live like it. You are a king, you are a queen, be that. Don't settle. Don't settle for anything other than that. And you will experience the majesty and the mystery and the spiritual dynamics of naked and unashamed the way you were meant to. That's what he has. I know a number of couples that have experienced what I've described and none of them, not one of them, have regretted the pain and the suffering and the humiliation they experienced to get to that altar, to get to that marriage bed. I know a lot of people that couldn't, and they regret it. This church is called Grace. It's written on the side of the building. I'm not here to condemn. I'm not here to help you regret. I'm here to, you, I'm here to help you think about tomorrow. Tomorrow. You can do this. And now it requires courage. Application, I don't, I don't want to go there. I know this. You do whatever it takes. You do whatever it takes. You probably know. You do whatever it takes to get back on the right road to this place called holiness. God has called you to sanctification. He wants you to be set apart for a very special purpose. You do that because you are that. Let's pray for that courage. Dear Heavenly Father, we know now, or maybe we've always known, and now, God, we ask that you would give us courage. Bring to us the desire to suffer temporarily for the joy of a future meeting. Let us cry now so that we don't regret later. Let us have this value that your spirit keeps nagging us about that we are yours and we're very special in your eyes and we just need to be convinced of that. I want you all to live a life in order to please God as in fact you you, you people at Grace, you are living that, but now I ask you, and I'm going to urge you in the name of the Lord Jesus to do this even more and more. It is God's will that you'd be sanctified. 
that each of you would learn how to control his own body in a way that would be holy and it would be honorable. God did not call us to be impure. He called us to live a holy life. And therefore, you know, we're going to see him. He gave us his Holy Spirit. So encourage one another with these words that I have spoken to you today. And all of God's people said, amen. For more information about grace, visit our website at grace360.org.